I have got a cold crack. <laughs> who, needs, who needs a cold case when you can have a cold crack? You can crack a cold one. Crack. is a podcast where two friends namely you michelle and myself geordie get together in different countries and just chat shit about whatever takes our fancy mostly what is it again super supernatural super normal that's it <laughs> and Hang super on. random super random and i think and that that's what you signed up for yeah so what are we what are we discussing today niche well so this week's uh spooky topic uh harks all the way back to december 26 1973 when on boxing day warner brothers released what is considered one of the scariest horror movies of all time Can you i guess? know which one yes <laughs> it's the exorcist okay well because i did my own little bit of research about horror films this week so i'd be interested to see what you come up with well i mean the interesting thing about the exorcist is that there are three kind of like scary scary parts to this yeah. story which is obviously the film itself also the backstory to the film and then like what happens after so okay. i think you know maybe we just i'll just tell you a little bit about the film like let's hear it mish i haven't <laughs> seen it for many years um i do remember being absolutely stricken when i did see it maybe i was quite a bit younger but yeah there's a it's it's a stunner isn't it stays with you well it does but the thing is i mean like it you know it was released in 73 and like nearly half a century later it's still like in the top 10 scariest movies of all time i mean for me i thought i remembered this film you know in in preparation for this i watched it again Mm. i literally remembered nothing like i have zero memory for like the scary stuff. I guess what I remembered most about the film was like the spinning head. Mm. And I'll tell you what I remembered most. And it, every time I think of The Exorcist, I just think, your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> right? Well, you, see, you see, but that's the thing. Like, I had totally forgotten that. And so, so basically, you know, it's a story of a 12-year-old girl, Regan, who, after playing with a Ouija board, becomes possessed by demons. You know, she's, a, she's a, a daughter, an only daughter of a single parent as well. You should add that in. I think that's important. She is. She's the, she's the only daughter of a single parent who happens to be a film star in Very the movie. She was, oh, she is in the movie as well. She is. She's a film star in the movie. I've forgotten that. Yeah, see? And uh, Ellen Burstyn. And yes. she, I mean, she's got some good outfits. Not a lot, but she has got some good outfits in that and movie. That face. I know. I know. She was very so beautiful. Good. Yeah, really beautiful. So after she beca- becomes possessed by demons, um, the mum... In the film. In the film. In the film. The mum, Ellen Burstyn, she has no idea what to do. So she takes her off to all these doctors who prescribe her Ritalin. Oh. Oh, yes. And uh, then, of course, she turns to the church for help. And... Mm-hmm. Dun, 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 an exorcism. Uh, so... You know, I mean, it is that classic tale of good versus evil. Well, the Catholics love all that, don't they? Well, they do. They, they do, do love a bit of ritual and ceremony. You know, we were talking about Crowley or Crowley last week, and uh, he likes a bit of ceremony, but so do the Catholics. They do. And to be honest, no one knew what an exorcism was until this film came out. I wouldn't be surprised. They say. Mm. Yeah. Well, people do, but no, it wasn't in general consciousness. No. Just the really devoted Catholics. <laughs> because I mean, obviously, you know, the Catholic Church is full of rites and rituals, and this is just mm. sort of one of them. But you know, in this film, I mean, it really is like good versus evil, um, you know, religion versus the devil. Where in the end, two priests die, and poor Reagan's left with a mutilated Spoilers. vagina. Oh, sorry, sorry. What happened to her vag? <laughs> it's mutilated. <laughs> So, is that because of the self-abuse with the crucifix? 
Yes. Well, this is the thing. Like, there are five things I'd forgotten about the exhibition, okay. which pretty much was everything. So you were just aghast throughout this film. I was. And so the first one. Okay. So thing number one. They say cunt quite a lot in the film. That's quite forward in the 70s, I'm sure, with a child present. Well, but this is the thing. Like, So at the beginning of the film, when the doctor is examining Reagan um, slash Linda Blair, when mm. the mum was like, oh, I don't know what's wrong with her. In the, in the, in the post kind of examination uh, meeting afterwards, the doctor says, well, you know, um, your daughter was, uh, you know, blaspheming quite a lot. And, and she, you know, the mum says, well, what did she say? And he says, well, she said to me, keep your fingers away from my goddamn cunt. <laughs> and I was watching this I going... I don't remember that. No, I didn't remember. I was mean, she they... possessed at the point, like, when, they, when she went to the doctors? I can't remember. You'll have to yeah, remind me. Yeah, yeah, she was, she was possessed. So I was like, okay. oh, my God. I mean, they flip the C word throughout the whole thing. And then when, when her head's spinning and she's like the, the voice of the director, he, she's like, do you know what you're, do you know what she did? Your cunting daughter. And I was like, <gasps> bloody hell, you know, like they are. So they, she was speaking as, what's, what's the name of the demon? Pazazu. Well, that's what, the, that's what it says online. But actually in the film, you never hear the demon referred to as anything more than the devil. Right. So she's just a, Cunting demon, right. and uh, <laughs> and and yes, as you said, and this was my second point. There is, in general, quite a lot of excellent swearing in the film um, right. from poor little possessed Regan, including yeah. that immortal line, "Your mother sucks cocks in hell." <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then it's also quite full on. Like there is this one scene which I thought was very. Um, prescient because you know as we know there's been a lot of um controversy with the church and you know priests right uh, i know where you're going with this yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, there is this one point where she says to father mirren who is the one who's trying to give her the exorcist in the end she's she's saying like she said something like you you want to I know you want to fuck me and touch me and all this kind of stuff. Like it's really, a, it's really kind of full on. But then mm. she's also saying stick, like stick your, yeah, stick your cock, cock up her ass. You motherfucking worthless cocksucker. Oh my goodness. I know. And then she's screaming like, fuck me, fuck me to the doctor who prescribed her Ritalin. I mean, she's 12 oh, in the God. movie. I do think they used a body double for a lot of her scenes, especially the self-mutilation with the cross. That was a body double of a woman who was a bit older and she was thinner. Not thinner. What was that? What am I? <laughs> thinner? <laughs> she wasn't thinner. She was a small lady. So she looked similar. <laughs> I've got to edit that out. Yeah. She's not thinner than a 12-year-old girl. She was a, a small lady, body double. So I think she did a lot of the more outrageous scenes that right. poor 12-year-old Linda Blair was expected to do. But Well, this was the thing, like, point number three, I literally had no memory of the fact that she fucks herself with a crucifix. <laughs> and I mean, I literally did not remember that. How can you not remember that? <laughs> and she's there yelling... Let Jesus fuck you. And she's getting grabbing this cross. I know. And it's it stabbing. is fucking insane. I mean, she is. There's blood everywhere. I mean, Ouch. it is a bloodbath. And then <laughs> she grabs the mum's head and she puts it down to her fanny and says, Lick me, lick me. Oh but my God, mom... I don't remember any of that. <laughs> I mean, oh, shoot. what the actual fuck? Then. The other thing I totally forgot, I mean, really, the only thing I remembered was the head spinning scene. I mm. remembered nothing else. I did not even remember, like, the projectile vomiting. With I the didn't. pea soup. With the pea soup. Yeah. No, I had no memory of that. Do you know either. what? It is no wonder that audience members were absolutely fainting from <laughs> shock and horror, just from the, the effing and blinding alone. And, you know... These sexual connotations, the little girl being there. I mean, William Friedkin, the director, he was a bit of a groundbreaker. I think he was also a bit of a rule breaker when it came to um, filming things. And I think he went quite far in order to get his shots and his 
reactions from the cast. I think a lot of the time the cast weren't even aware. Oh, there's a story about a gun going off. Oh, Is there a scene where a gun goes off? Oh. She shoots a gun, Regan. She's the o Linda Blair was the only person who knew that that was going to happen. Yeah, right. So yeah. that she wasn't, she didn't look shocked, but the rest of the cast were like, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it was an insane set. There was also a couple of accidents that happened. Do you know about that? Like Linda oh. Blair and Ellen Burstyn both got injured during, during scenes. Yeah. Because the, they were all like strapped up. Mm. But they, they're in the film. The, yeah, like, yeah. That little girl breaks a couple of vertebrae in her back, flipping oh. back and forth. Jesus Christ. And she's I mean, screaming and crying for real. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, it, I think he had no qualms in putting real reactions to like. Yeah terrifying and mutilating kind of events into the film but you know i mean it was a super scary film at the yeah. time and i honestly like i don't know i don't know how my mom actually like, she watched let, it she let us watch it jen <laughs> not even joking jen i don't even know why she would do this but and she would she would let us go to the video store and uh when we were kids, we watched all of it. Amityville Horror, Rosemary's oh. Baby, Children of the oh, Corn, no. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> Evil Dead. Jen just went down. We, we hired our little Betamax videos and uh, popped them in. We were watching all of it. I don't even know where she was. How, why, would, why would she let it? <laughs> why is she letting us do this? But we saw all of them. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, Probably I was having some well-deserved me time raising four children. She needed a bit of a break on the back veranda with her fags. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, Jen. So go, going back to The Exorcist, what else is there that you want to tell me about? Well, I guess for me, what I found interesting was the sort of backstory to The Exorcist. Yes. Talk to me about that. So it's actually based on a true story. And mm. this, this kid, it was actually a guy. A little boy. Yeah. His name, his real name has never been revealed, ever. And he's known as Roland Doe. So, not his real name. Who, in the late 1940s, in Cottage City, Maryland, not far from Washington, D.C., at 14 years of age, underwent an exorcism performed by the Catholic Church. So, by all accounts, Roland, who, in some accounts I've read, is also known as Robbie Mannheim, but for our purposes today, we're going to stick with Roland. Uh, so Roland was an only child and was a quiet boy born to German Lutheran parents who, uh, turns out, uh, people have said he was more sort of nerdy than sort of that sporty type, uh, who loved to spend time with his favorite aunt Harriet, who just so happened to be a spiritualist, which basically means uh, she believed that humans can communicate with spirits. So it was Aunt Harriet who had a Ouija board, uh, which for anyone who doesn't know what a Ouija board is, is it's just a flat board with all the letters of the alphabet on it and numbers from zero to nine, plus a yes or a no written on it. And Marketed then you... by Mattel. <laughs> or, actually, it's not Mattel, it's another company, but yeah. So Are you serious? Games. Yes. I thought you were joking. No, it's true. Oh it's a game. God. No, this is this is no game. This is absolutely no game, because like when you've got the board, you also have this thing called a planchette, um, which is traditionally heart shaped, and everyone who is at the séance, and this is why it's not a game, because having a séance literally is opening up, you know, the the gates of of uh, not hell, but you are opening up into another world basically. so some would believe yes so, <laughs> some would believe yes so everyone puts his finger on a, a finger who's like at the seance onto a planchette and then the spirits talk to you by using the planchette as an indicator to spell out words mm. have you ever done one yes on the game i had to go on the game in a caravan with my next door neighbors and of course, everyone's saying, you're pushing it, you're pushing it. And they're all saying, I didn't push it, I didn't push it. And then I did it again when I was about 18 or 17 uh, living in Canberra. We all did it. And of course, again, well, it spelt out some very rude words about a person who we were living with. <laughs> and I think that it was somebody pushing it. Yeah. Mm. 
I don't think I've ever really done one. I mean, we used one, but I've, I was always too scared, too scared. And yeah. again, there did come a point that, you know, because it's exorcists out there, other stories are out there. You just know you're not supposed to mess with those things. No, so you do it for fun because you're curious and then you don't anymore. Yeah. And I think there were a few opportunities where I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so I've seen them. I've kind of been a part of a little bit. And uh, but no, I've never really been part of that. Mm. So back to Aunt Harriet. Turns out she did a few seances with, uh, with young Roland, who reportedly loved it, loved playing with that Ouija board and actually got a bit obsessed with it. I think he thought it was a bit of a game too. Mm. Then poor Aunt Harriet, she died suddenly at the beginning of 1949. Roland, by all accounts, was devastated by the death of his, his beloved Aunt Harriet and began using the Ouija board to try to contact his aunt. And that's when weird, bizarre things started to happen at uh, Shadow. So, Shadow? Shadow! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where they live, Michelle? What's that's his last name? House. Doe, as in D O U H. No, as in Roland Doe, D O E. You know how, like, in rape Roland cases. Doe. Well, you know oh, I see, like Jane Doe. Like Jane Got Doe. It. Yes, right. they called him Roland Doe. I Because get it. they never wanted to. Uh, reveal his name and to this day nobody knows his real name but it clearly starts with an r hence he is otherwise known as what was the other name you said robbie robbie Manheim. and when oh, friedkin Robin. turned it into a, a girl in the t in the movie he <gasps> called her regan oh my god i hadn't even seen that connection there you go nice one <laughs> <laughs> so uh weird things started happening in the doe household like unexplained noises like dripping sounds with no actual drip um, scratching on the walls plumbers and pest exterminators were called but they could not find any evidence of drips or rats then apparently the sound of footsteps could be heard along with knocking and banging but it was when furniture began moving on its own and objects mm. began flying around the room that the family could no longer ignore what was going on. That's not fun. No. And it was even reported that a portrait of Jesus that the family had hanging on the wall began moving on its own and thumping around. Also, poor Roland, he began to get bruises and welts on his skin with no apparent cause. So it's no surprise that after all this, uh, shy little Roland, because apparently he was quite a timid little boy. Oh, bless him. I know. Uh, he really began to change. You know, his his personality went from being, you know, quiet and timid to being really aggressive. He would fly into tantrums and raging outbursts, even became physically violent at times towards his parents. Could that be the Ritalin? Well, I don't know that he was on Ritalin. Right. I mean... I was kind of shocked when in the movie they're like, yeah, just give Regan uh, Ritalin. Mm. I mean, I know that it's for ADHD, but it just, it still shocks me when kids are prescribed medication like that so yes. early. Yeah, so poor old Roland, he started to get really violent. And also, look, they say he started spewing forth all of these vile rampages of obscenities. Yeah. And I think it sounds a little bit Tourette's-y, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So I wonder, I mean, you know, because there are always accounts of people saying this is not possession, it's mental illness, it's, you know, and maybe Tourette's is, is part of that. I don't mm. know. But anyway, uh, weirder still, he would sometimes speak Latin, which he'd never learned. Okay. In a voice. But did he go to church? Well, they were Lutherans. Lutherans not exactly Catholic, is it? They, no. they don't have all the Anno Domini and no. Latin. No. So I don't know where the Latin came from, but he oh. was speaking in Latin, and in a in a in a voice that wasn't his. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Just like Just that. Like that. <laughs> so, so after basically getting nowhere with doctors and psychiatrists, the family turned to their pastor help you know as you do if you're a lutheran hmm. and this guy his name was reverend luther miles schultz and he had a really keen interest in parapsychology 
At first, he was a bit skeptical about Roland's parents' account of what was going on. So he agreed to spend a night in the family house to check out what was going on. He, too, saw the bed shake, saw furniture flying around the room um, of its own accord, and heard strange banging and scratching noises. His conclusion was, uh, yes, indeed, there was evil in that house. And Roland was the victim of demonic possession. Mm. So he performed a little Lutheran exorcism rite on on Roland uh, with zero effect. So, uh, and I think he realized he was a bit out of his depth. So he advised the parents to consult with Edward Hughes, a Catholic priest who uh, was maybe more able to perform a more effective exorcism. So when Hughes met with Roland, he was convinced Roland was possessed because during the visit, apparently Roland looked completely like dead behind the eyes. Mm -hmm. But also when Father Hughes put his Bible on the family kitchen table, according to reports, his chair began to vibrate and then levitate in the air with him still sitting in it. Hughes or Roland? Father Hughes. (gasps) Yes. He then said to Roland, who are you in Latin? And mm-hmm. Roland replied also in Latin. Oh, my I, God. I know. I am legions. Legions? Yes. Many. Many demons. That's what I think it means. Oh, that makes me feel a little bit sick. Now, I'm quite the skeptic when it comes to all this kind of thing. I do feel that a lot of it can be explained away. But that made me feel a little bit scared. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's free. I mean, it freaked the fuck out of father hughes and he immediately set up a date for an exorcism right yes of course now it sounds a lot like when you're explaining all this to me i'm thinking about the enfield haunting do you know about that no i do not oh my god it's such a good i'll I'll send you some links to some really good um uh podcasts about it but also there's a fantastic mini series starring timothy spall uh it's very good and Matthew McFadden's in it as well. It's very bloody good. It's like a mini series. So good. And there's a reunions episode on Radio 4 about the actual people who were involved in it. Like there's a, the, the, the person that Timothy Spall plays is Morris Gross, who is um, into the paranormal only because he had some loss in his own life. His daughter was killed in a motorbike accident. And after that, he turned from whatever he did before, maybe he was a tax advisor or an accountant or something, just a, a regular suburban dad, you know, he turned to, I think he started a society for paranormal or something. And these little, this family in, like I again, single parent family. Uh, there was a few kids, a couple of girls in particular were really, really being affected. One in particular was being affected by this goings on in the house. I'm just going to briefly tell you this. And uh, he was brought in plus I think the mirror was involved, Daily Mirror. They got photographs, they got, you know, they filmed things. Everybody could explain it away. This girl was talking in a completely different voice and being and levitating and lots of people saw stuff. But it's been explained, you know, skeptics can explain it to a certain degree, but I think the people involved in it just know what they know, just know what they saw and what they experienced. That's the end of what I'm going to tell you about the end of the haunting. But it's fantastic <laughs> to, to investigate. The well... reunion episode on Radio 4 is amazing. Well, back to poor old Roland, who really, yeah. I mean, he is the the inspiration for this film. I mean, it's basically Obviously. all all about him. So going back to, to Father Hughes, who was who was freaked right out about being <laughs> like levitating in his chair, he'd never performed an exorcism before. Mm-hmm. But he was willing to give it a go. And uh, he moved Roland to a Jesuit hospital at Georgetown University Hospital. Apparently, when Roland arrived, he got all violent and Tourette'sy again, you know, hissing mm. and kicking and spitting at everyone. And he was really like so out of control that his wrists were strapped to the hospital bed during the exorcism. And for oh, three nights, three nights, Father Hughes performed exorcism rites. Again, unfortunately, with zero nothing effect. Nothing happened. Oh, nothing. dear. And then on the last night, Roland managed to free himself of um, one of the wrist straps and ripped a bedspring out of the mattress <gasps> and slashed Father Hughes from elbow to wrist. Oh, my God. I, that sounds familiar. Was that in the film? It could be because they've taken a lot from 
what actually happened and put it into the film, even though it might not be in the correct timeline. Yeah, they have taken a lot of this stuff. So shortly after this failed exorcism attempt, Roland's family traveled to St. Louis. St. Louis? St. Louis. St. Louis. St. Louis. To visit relatives where they spoke to a Raymond J. Bishop, who was a professor and priest at St. Louis University who suggested they visit William S. Bowden, who was a senior Catholic priest of the St. Louis Diocese. Mm -hmm. So together, these two, they went off to see Roland and they went to his, uh, the home where he was staying, so his um, uh, relative's house, to understand whether or not he really did need an exorcism. And when they got there, they saw a shaking bed, furniture flying around the room, Roland like cussing in all sorts of weird guttural voices and they knew immediately they had to go and get permission from the archbishop to conduct an exorcism and then with the church's blessing they set about getting all the bits and bobs together they needed to perform the real exorcism. This is his third exorcism now. Uh, This will be yes. Yes. Why do they keep going to exorcism, exorcism, exorcism when clearly it doesn't work? Well, I think because the parents, it was the last resort for them, I think. Last resort? It was the first, second and third resort. Well, they'd already been to all the doctors and the psychiatrists and they, mm. could, they had no, you know, nothing was, was making yeah. any kind of difference. And I think they were desperate. Yeah, and, I, and I also think these, these poor priests, they probably said, listen, I'll give it a go. Never done one before. Let me let me just have a try, and if not, we'll uh, we'll go find someone who knows more about it than me. Mm-hmm. So I think this is kind of what's happening. But poor Roland, in the middle of all this, he's just being strapped to beds and God knows poor what. Poor chap. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. poor chap. So it seems that uh, Bishop and Bowden had learned a thing or two from from these previous exorcisms, and so they decided to really prepare themselves. So they asked another two priests to help them. This was Walter Halloran and William Van Roo. In order to not repeat the mistakes of previous exorcisms, they decided to conduct the exorcism in a windowless, furnitureless, soundproof room in the psychiatric ward. Oh my God, that poor little boy. I know, of the Alexian Brothers Hospital. I know. I mean, he's... I think he's 14 at this point. So okay. they made they made in the film they made it a girl who was 12, but he's mm-hmm. yeah, he's 14. So it's reported <clears throat> that when Roland first saw the priests, he spat in their faces and got all Tourette'sy again. But then also made like in weird sexual propositions towards them <laughs> and was physically violent. And then, oh my God. I know. And then there are things on the internet which you don't know what, what to believe and what's real and what's not. But yeah, uh, it's a lot of legend, I think, you know, sewn into, especially with the exorcist itself. Yeah, yes, I think so too. And, and you know, and this is where accounts differ for like what actually happened on this, this um, exorcism. And I'm no expert, but you know, here we go. So according to some sources, this, this exorcism was the final exorcism. Other sources claim that there were more than 30 exorcisms um, conducted over a period of six weeks by this little crew. So wherever the truth lies, there are some facts that keep repeating and coming up over again. That marks and words appeared to magically materialize on the boy's skin during the exorcism, Mm -hmm. including the words evil and hell. Well, that's in the movie. Yes, it is. Yeah. then some say it was the ingesting of a communion wafer that a wafer. Uh, a wafer that finally rid the evil spirit from Roland's body. While so if, others... they, if only they'd known that before. I know, just read him a little wafer <laughs> and a glass of wine. <laughs> or is it? They're there, all better Here now. Here we go. Bloody um, hell. But others say it was the litany of saints portion of the exorcism that what? finally dispelled the demons. Well, I think the, the litan- litany of saints is part oh, of... Oh, that's a thing. Yes, I think... It's a it's, piece. Yes, part of the, the ritual. Um, 
But either way, Halloran's nose was broken by Roland during the ritual. And although there was no uh, spinning head or pea soup, there was a lot of bed shaking, spitting, violence, and filthy language uh, mm. before the Well, I'm priest. not surprised that poor boy being what? harassed by two priests in a windowless furnitureless <laughs> bloody room for six weeks. No, I know. thank you. I know. Oh, but, I mean... It's abuse. It is abuse. And finally, I mean, they drove the evil spirits from Roland's body. Uh, whereupon he is reported to have said, it's over, he's gone. Oh. And didn't that happen in the film as well? I think so. I think so. Well, but, you you know, watched it recently, didn't you? Yes, but I, I only remember the, like, cunty bits. And... Did you have your eyes shut? <laughs> no. Do you know what? <laughs> your ears blocked. Do you know what? The actual, the film itself, the music in it, to start yeah. with is super scary and that's what yeah. actually made me think it was really scary <laughs> but in is the it, end it, that's the uh, mike oldfield is that one i don't think it's that one <laughs> that famous I... piece of music i'm sure it's mike oldfield no i don't think it is you need to google oh, that right now i'm googling but uh no i mean the thing is like because you know like i think Jen, let Tubular us watch. Bell. It says here. Tubular Bell. Tubular Bell. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Oh, yes, that's it. That's it. Thank you. And that's exactly what I sang earlier. Uh... <laughs> I think you'll find. Pitch perfect. Uh, well, that is exactly it. And it is scary. But also yeah. all the incidental music is really right. super scary. And yeah. and actually, you know, the the film itself, like you, you look at it now, and it's kind of funny in some ways because, you know, you can tell it's like a little plaster cast of a, of a dummy where the words are coming through and like yeah. on the skin well, you can and see stuff. That, yeah. But when you think back, like there is no like you know green screen effects. Like they had to do all of this themselves. It's it's pretty. It is pretty scary. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, I and I was thinking about this because you know nowhere could I find that you know Roland as a male child. You know, it's not like he was like jacking off to a crucifix, ew, or anything like that. No, but I mean, right. it's it's interesting that obviously I see where you're going. Yes, you know, by they made making... the most of the fact that she's a girl. Yes, not very yeah. nice. Not very no, nice. It's a little girl, poor thing. No. But then wow. Roland, well, Roland apparently, reportedly, went on to live a normal life. I think oh. in no small part the fact that he was uh, given the alias Roland O or Robbie Mannheim to protect his true identity. And he mm. apparently got married, had a family, never succumbed to further demonic possession, and Amazing. apparently does not remember a single thing about being possessed or what it even felt like. Right. And it's like it erased his memory of uh -huh. that whole time, even though, yeah, people were, wow. were, were all up in arms about it. So, you know, I'm and glad this... to hear that it all worked out for Roland. Yes. Yeah. I mean, poor kid. Well, but I mean, I think it's quite amazing that, and I did lots of searching. His real name is nowhere. No. I mean, that's the Is kind he of real, secret. do you think, Michelle? Yes, because this was reported on the front page of the Washington Post okay. back in the day, in the 1940s. And this, mm -hmm. was, this true story is, is what inspired, um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, what's his name? William Peter Blatty to write the book. Yeah. So apparently in 1978, um, Father Raymond Bishop, who was involved with those exorcists mm. exorcisms um apparently that his diary was found in 1978 at the alexian brothers hospital where that well, final after... exorcism was performed yes that's after the film was released yes um well that doesn't make any sense does it well what are you going to say next sorry to do <laughs> no sorry but... to debunk everything <laughs> no 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 but that's absolutely what does it oh, say what no, were you no, going to no, say no. No. So basically, his diary was found in 1978. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a book by Thomas B. Allen, who was uh, 
who wrote this book called Possessed, the true story of an exorcism, that was sort of the source material for William Peter Blatty. And apparently he says he's never read this diary. Who Blatty so, says he never has. Yes. Okay. And well, like before... It, that would make I mean, sense because he found it in 1978 and the book nobody, was already written. And... Nobody hasn't... He hasn't even read it since. Since. Okay. So, um, and Blatty, he... Uh, you know, it was a, I mean, this book, when he released it, it was an instant bestseller. You know, it was, uh, it was crazy. What and, year was that released? Uh, 1971, the book came out. And okay. then the film came out in 1973. 73, yep. Yes. And then he was actually hired to write the script for The Exorcist. Did he? Under the, yes, he did. Under the guidance of, of William Friedkin, the director. Mm. And I think that Friedkin... Well, Blatty wanted Friedkin to direct the movie because he thought it would give it a more realistic sense of like being more documentary style. I mean, come on, uh -huh. there is nothing documentary about The Exorcist. <laughs> it is like pure schlock. <laughs> and in, in 1973, when the film opened, and it didn't open in many cinemas, it was really small release. It was absolutely like panned by the critics. They hated it, but audiences loved it. Well, yes, they did love it because they were. It was all ramped up, wasn't it? All the excitement of yes. how awful this film is. Yeah. They had the, the trailer would induce fits, epileptic fits. They had to be pulled. Well, they were saying um, people were throwing up in their seats. That's and right. Apparently, janitors were complaining because, like, they had so much extra work to do cleaning up all the all the vom. So, so people couldn't believe that there was something so scary out there. They would be flocking to the cinema to see that. No. People were fainting. Heart attacks were reported. Apparently one woman had a miscarriage after oh seeing it. And despite all of this and for calls for it to be banned, the film opened like across all, you know, the world, basically, the US and around the world. In Canada, apparently four women were committed to psychiatric care after seeing it. Mm. In West Germany, a 19-year-old man shot himself after seeing the film. In the UK, a teenager apparently murdered a nine-year-old girl after seeing the oh film. Oh, my God. And apparently he said, oh, it wasn't me. It was something inside me that made me do it. Mm -hmm. Like The Exorcist. Uh-huh. And then in April 1974, evangelist uh, Billy Graham... You know, yeah. that crazy TV. Yes, I know what he says about this film. Yeah. Well, he said it stank of evil and the devil he is in every, every frame. Every frame. I heard that too. Yeah. And that you will be tainted simply by seeing it. Yes. So, I mean, do you, you know, was it all just effective publicity or do you think? Yes, I believe it was. So you don't think there, there was anything deeper going on? No, I don't. I think it was um, opportunist taking advantage of people's um, fear and, you know, obviously the church was very strong at that time as well. Uh, it was actually revealed by cast and crew that despite circum certain circumstances, uh, coincidences, sorry, mm. of which, do you know about some of the things that happened on set? Did you well, know I about do. the sets burning down? I've got, I've got a few here to talk yeah. about. Yeah. But no, Everything continue. except... Okay, so there was a few uh, coincidences, which you can touch on in a minute, Michelle. Um, but the Friedkin and the producers were ramping up the curse aspects to get bums on seats. Reports of audience members fainting, seizure-inducing trailer being pulled, and the announcement from Pope Paul VI that demons are real, that all happened around the same time, and that helped the film to, film to do really well at the box office. Poor old Linda Blair, though, she had a really tough time after the film was released because people were scared of her. Oh my God. She's like 14 years old and people are crossing the street or yelling at her. She had a terrible time. This is all in this um, documentary that I, I docu-series I watched called uh, Cursed Films on Shudder, the horror network. Okay. And she said that, um, well, she didn't say, but we they heard that apparently the studio provided bodyguards, but she said ominously in this docu-series, I won't talk about that. <laughs> so it but must have been a really tough time for her but she did say that um one of the prs for the films for the, for the film confessed to her that they were told to create fear to drum up publicity for the film no but the yeah, thing man. is she never really worked again did she i mean did she have a career afterwards probably you know what you said this about poor old ben mendelson our little aussie battler oh. when we watched that show the other day <laughs> um uh, what was it the Stephen king what was it called the outsider which was brilliant and you were like 
Oh, good old Ben Mendes. He hasn't worked for years, bless him. He's been winning awards, Michelle, across the board. <laughs> he's been in massive films. He's been in the Queen's Speech. He's been in the, what was it, the, what, the Darkest Hour. He's been in so many things. He's had oh. his own shit going on for years. Just because you haven't seen him, or because, you, you know, you probably last saw him in a country practice or something. <laughs> falling off a ladder. Oh, poor old Ben Mendelssohn. Good old he was, Ben. But do you know what? He was never the one that was going to... Um, you know, it'd be the one most likely to succeed. I always thought it was going to be Why? Noah Taylor. Well, it was always Noah Taylor for me. Well, they've both done well. Yes, I know. But poor old Noah hasn't had a great time either, has he? Why not? What's happened to him? He's oh. been in like, he was in Game of Thrones. He was not. Yes, he was. Oh, maybe in the later series. I didn't see. But there you go. Have you see, not watched I it all? No, I haven't. And he's in the middle. He was right in the slap bang in the middle. Oh, all right. He well, was the one that chopped off Jamie's arm. Spoilers. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I, well, Game of Thrones, yes, my, I, I loved, I loved it and then just sort of dropped off. But no, okay. Noah for me was always, always my favourite. Ever since I saw him in a play, a, um, the Belvoir's production of The Seagull. And you know who else was in that? Kate Blanchett. Yes. Right back when no one even knew her name. She went on. I mean, she stole the show. She was absolutely incredible. But I was there just to see Noah Taylor and to have him be my boyfriend afterwards. Because I was <laughs> loving him. Are you sure it wasn't Ben Mendelsohn? Because they do get no. mistaken for each other a lot. How? No. <laughs> well, I... they say. They both admit to it. Oh, they I look, don't know. They look how. similar. No. They do. they do. But do you remember that you, my voice broke? Yeah, uh, I didn't watch it, but oh. I do know about it because it was filmed in Braidwood. Yes, it was, right near you. And everybody knows. Absolutely beautiful The hotel. That's, yeah. when I, that's when I first fell in love with Noah Taylor. But... You fell in love with him, did you? I did. That's why I went to oh. see him in The Seagull. He was in I... Girls? Was he? Did you watch Girls? Yeah, he was yeah. the father of um, the one with the mermaid hair. Oh, was he really? God, yes. I've got... Again, see, zero memory. I don't remember anything about anything. So poor old Linda Blair. So she did work yeah. again. I don't know. She you probably know did. I haven't got any info on that, but I bet she did. I bet she worked again. Yeah. Well, I have a few little bits here. Let's see. Go on then. So, yes, you touched on this. The fire. There was a fire on the film set. Um, yeah. It happened one Sunday morning. It's reported the entire set was reduced to ash, except... For Regan's room, mm -hmm. which was miraculously untouched. <laughs> uh, filming had to be shot down for six weeks while the set was reconstructed. And then as soon as filming was ready to commence, the sprinkler system broke. So it got delayed, delayed, delayed. Then when it came to the actual cast, many of them encountered like personal tragedies and weird troubles um, during the shoot and beyond. So first of all, uh, actor Max von Sydow, so mm. he was the one that played elderly Father Merrin, who actually... Wasn't old at the time. No, he had to spend hours in makeup um, to make he him look... He was on Game of Thrones, and he just died recently, didn't he? What, in real life? Yeah. No. He's like, just died. Oh, my God. I had no idea. <gasps> Did yeah. you... Oh, do you know who died yes. yesterday? Connery. Yeah. Sean Connery. Yeah. Aww. Well, poor old Max... Max von Sydow... Yeah. Uh, right. So his brother unexpectedly died in Sweden at the beginning of shooting. He died this year. Oh, Not his brother, he? but Max von Sydow. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. Max. And and Sean. And Sean. Um, and poor old Shawnee. Um, then the Irish actor Jack McGowan, who. He played um, the mum's boozy louche director, um, Burke Dennings, oh, in the film. Right. Yeah. He literally died weeks after his character Burke was killed in the movie. From How in... was he killed in the movie? Remind me. Uh, he got thrown Burke. out the window. Burke. It's a terrible Burke? name. Burke? Terrible name. I know. Burke got thrown out the window. <laughs> <laughs> he got thrown out the window. By? By Regan. Oh, you okay, know, right. You never saw it. It was uh, just... Saw him land. Hinted. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and then, and he died from flu, age 54. Oh, well, I know. That shit can happen. I mean, look what's happening now. Yes, I know. Pandemic. Then uh, Vasiliki Meliados, 
who There's played the priest. That's a woman. And she oh. <laughs> <laughs> she played Father Karis's mother. Right. She also did not live to see the film. Is she the one who um, sucks cocks in hell? Yes. <laughs> Your mother's a cocks in hell. That's her. <laughs> Thanks, Kermit. <laughs> that was your Kermit impersonation. That was meant to be scary. <laughs> <laughs> that was meant to be scary. <laughs> Hang on, wait. Whoops. Lisa, okay. Was <laughs> <laughs> that more scary? <laughs> yeah, I would be scared. Uh, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> so she died of natural causes, aged 89. Okay, hey. well, that is a shock. Shocker. <gasps> Shocker. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's a just, that's a coincidence. She was yes, old. But, yes, but only like before the film was even released. It's about timing, love. Okay. Timing. Yeah. It's just timing. things that they can just pile on top just to make it seem even more scary and to get all the people to go and watch it and they can just make loads of the money. Yeah. Yeah. Well then, so apparently Jason Miller, who played Father Karras, and let me tell you in the film, yeah. Father Karras, he is this chisel-jawed Yeah, he's dude. the one that looks like someone else, doesn't he? He looks like um, Gregory Rock. Peck or someone like that, or Rock Hudson. Well, he looks like, he looks like those, those dudes off... Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> Nora Taylor. Nora Taylor. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you remember when your mum used to have all those like sewing patterns and they always had those yes. really chisel-jawed... And he's on the front of the packet with his uh, terry cloth... Butterick's. <laughs> with his terry toweling robe that yeah. you can make in At shorty home. style. Awful, thanks. <laughs> or a caftan he... for your dad. Oh. <laughs> he, he looks like one of those guys. I mean, he's quite handsome. Yeah. And, uh, so, well, apparently, um, during filming, his young son, this guy's I called don't. Jason Miller. Father Karras' real name is Jason Miller. No, no, no. Okay. His young son was walking along the beach, out of nowhere, motorbike comes, hits him, almost dies. Oh now, God. I've read on the internet and I can't... A motorbike on a beach? Yes, out of nowhere. Bizarre. Jeez. Very bizarre. Apparently, this son, so son of actor Jason Miller, who played Father mm. Karras, is none other than Jason Patrick. Oh, the actor who was in... Lost uh, Boys. Halloween favourite. Lost Boys. I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. I wanted to show the kids, but I think maybe it's inappropriate. We watched Coraline instead. They don't they, make them like they used to. They don't make them like they used to. And they say no. cunt in them. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> they say cunt these days, clearly. I mean, you just said it. Whoops. Um, yeah, so apparently he's the dad of, uh, of Jason Patrick. And he nearly died uh, during filming of The oh, Exorcist. Yes. Wow. wow. Interesting. But again, coincidental. Yeah, whatever. There's now, a lot of people that work on a film. Yeah, I know. But so Linda Blair's grandfather died during filming. Okay. He was grandfather. Okay, he's old. Security guard died during filming. How old was he? Don't know. How old did he die of? Don't know. <laughs> Guy who refrigerated the set died during production. Refrigerated the set? Yes, because you know how they, like during the film, when the when the demons are in possession of Regan's body and oh, they have all the the breath spin. coming out, yeah, the, right. the like frozen breath, they had to refrigerate the whole set. She's okay. there in a little nightgown. Oh, I know, Linda. freezing her tits off. And, oh, uh, little Linda. I know. So then, apparently as well, cameraman's baby, still born, still born. Oh. Okay. Janitor was shot and killed. Bye. It's just a random during okay. filming. And a carpenter. Not on set. Not on set, yeah. but he, he worked on the film. Carpenter lost his thumb. Okay. Ellen Burstyn. That's a lot of coincidences. Yes, Ellen Burstyn, she hurt herself during filming. Well, she did. She did. And she still complains about that injury today. Yeah. And then, so. And the injury happened when she was being pulled back, you know, when she, she was yes. really slapped. Yes. Yes. And then they pull her back with a, with a, pot, a, tr a, poly, a pulley thing and apparently and she bashed Something yeah, I mean, it like looked that. very violent in the film, yeah. but uh, yeah, she still complains of that injury. And then and fast and loose with his cast. Oh, too much. Health and safety. <laughs> Friedkin. Wouldn't be allowed now. Wouldn't no. be allowed now. Safety monitor. Um, but then, so 
the voice of the demon. I uh-huh. mean, it was this woman, Mercedes McCambridge, who didn't get credit in the original film, and then she like took them to court and sued Well, I think Warner she Brothers. might be the actress that I was talking about earlier. Which one? The one that is the body double as well. No, 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 no. She She's... also does the face. You know, when the face suddenly looks like it's full of makeup uh, and looks at the that's yeah, her as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this one, Mercedes, she was. Oh, I know about her. Old. I know yes. about her. Yes, yes. So she was the voice of the Exorcist demon. Yes, and I've she heard got something. no credit for it. So she sued Warner Brothers. It was all very, um, all very controversial at the time. But so this is terrible. What yes. happened to her? So December 16, nineteen eighty-seven. Her son. Mm-hmm. John Lawrence Markle, grown-up son of Mercedes McCambridge, yes. shot his wife and two daughters at point-blank range while wearing a Halloween mask with Nightmare of Elm Street playing on the VCR. Oh, God. He then shot himself. And then, oh. and then in one of the most harrowing scenes in the film, and it's not even anything to do with the demonic possession. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Where she is in the hospital getting this injection into the neck. Oh my God. There is a radiographer. And now you know more about this than me. I do. Well, off you go. Off you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, director William Friedkin wanted a medical scene for the movie involving a cerebral angiography, which is what you were talking about, the, the neck piercing performed on the main character Regan to try and find a medical explanation for what was later to be revealed as full-blown demonic possession he visited an uh, NYUMC hospital which I think has changed names now it's New York University Medical Center it stands for and watched the procedure being performed performed so impressed was he that Friedkin employed the Barton employed Barton Lang who was the radiographer who performed the procedure plus his assistant plus the nurse as extras and they all appeared in the film. The assistant's name was Paul Bateson and it's said that the graphic scene he appeared in was one of the most disturbing in a film where a little girl's head spins around while announcing to a priest that his mother sucks cock in hell which we've already touched on. In 1977 which is four years after the film's release Bateson was arrested for the murder of showbiz reporter Addison Verrill. Verrill, or Viril, I don't know how you pronounce that, apologies once again, was found beaten and stabbed in his own apartment. There were no signs of forced entry and nothing of value taken, but the police put it down to a robbery gone wrong. Verrill's friend, journalist and gay activist Arthur Bell, wrote a piece in The Village Voice, also focusing on the greater issue of the murders of gay men, which had been happening for, I think, a few years at this time. Um... They were occurring yearly in the village and were not being taken seriously enough by police and media and usually put down to a sexual encounter gone awry. Arthur Bell ended his article by inviting members of the public to get in touch with police if they had any information on the crime. Eight days later, Bell received a phone call from a man who confessed to the crime, wanting to atone. He told Bell he was a drunk and needed money, so after meeting in a gay club, he ended up partying with... Addison Verrill. He wasn't aware of Verrill's celebrity until the night wore on and eventually went home with him where they drank, took drugs and had sex. <laughs> the caller said it became clear that Verrill was done with him when it's all ended like by morning, like about six or seven in the morning. And this enraged the caller who then attacked Addison Verrill with a frying pan and stabbed him to death. He didn't want to identify himself, the caller but insinuated that if he got caught, he would lose his license. Oh. A few days later, another phone call came in to Arthur Bell from a man claiming to know who killed Addison Verrill and naming him as Paul Bateson. Remember (gasps) the assistant to Lang, who was the radiographer in that scene? So he's an anesthesiologist. I think he's an anesthesiologist, I think, is what his job is. I'm not sure. I should know. uh, Police arrested Bateson and he confessed to the crime because he was drunk at the time, I think, when they turned up and they, he was expecting them. At the time of Bateson's arrest, police had also been investigating a series of murders of gay men over the previous two years, which they believed were committed by the same person due to the similar modus operandi. Six corpses of men had been found, dismembered in bags floating in the Hudson River. None had ever been identified, but investigations led to the clothes the victims were wearing to shops in Greenwich Village that catered to the gay community. Mm-hmm. 
the bags and the body the bodies were found in reportedly had wording on them connecting them to NYUMC's neuropsychiatric unit. No. So this is why it's all adding up. And there's a there's a legend around Paul Bateson because he did go down for murder, but they also that you'll often hear it said that there is an there was an active serial killer who features in the film but that's not necessarily true because it's as you've just heard it's four years later when he gets arrested for addison verrill's murder but they're trying yes, to pin but they're these, trying to... Uh, these other murders on him yeah but that's it i mean he well he could have been killing during the movie he could have been. So dismemberment of the bodies appeared to have been done by someone with specific knife skills, which led investigators to suggest publicly that Bateson might be a suspect in the killings. Those killings were the subject of another interview Bateson gave, although it would be not, not be made public until 2012. Friedkin, who remembered him from both his initial visit to NYUMC and the filming of the angiography for, or the angiography for The Exorcist, recalled him to be a nice young man who stood out due to the earring and studded bracelet he wore. <laughs> After reading a news story about the murder and allegations of serial killings, Friedkin was surprised and intrigued, so he came to Rikers Island to, to talk to him about the murders. Bateson said that the prosecutors were offering him a deal if he confessed to the bag murders and some other unsolved killings, and he would receive a shorter sentence as a result of admitting to all these other murders, but he didn't. Well, well, he didn't. At the time, he, he told Friedkin that he wasn't sure if he would accept it, and I don't think he did. Okay. After his, this conversation with Bateson, Friedkin decided it was time to make the film adaptation of the New York Times reporter Gerald Walker's 1970 novel, Cruising, about a police officer going undercover in the gay community to catch a serial killer based on the bag murders. Ooh. So you got another film out of it. Oh, see, there he goes. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, ka-ching, ka-ching. Yep. I don't think that film did very well. Bateson was never charged for the bag murders. There you go. And ultimately served 24 years and three months of his sentence, becoming eligible for parole in 1997. On the day after his 63rd birthday in August 2003, he was released from prison. Is he Bateson, still alive? Uh, I think so. He's old, but yeah, I think he's still knocking around. So he's Bateson... out there. He's, he's out, out there, man. Oh. Bateson was portrayed in the second season of the Netflix miniseries, or mini uh, series, sorry, not miniseries, Mindhunter. Have you seen that? No. I oh my not. gosh. Watch that. It's so good. Ooh. So good. Really good. Also in season two of Mindhunter was David Berkowitz, the son of Sam Killer. And I've just added this in because of something that he says, and it links back to The Exorcist. He claimed that he killed six people and injured several more because he was under the influence of his neighbor's dog, which was possessed by demons. That was his, um, that was his uh, motive, apparently. That's what made him do all this murdering. Shonky. But eventually, yeah. Eventually, Berkowitz confessed that his story about demons ordering the killings was all a hoax. And his betrayal on Mindhunter implies his elaborate possession story may have been inspired by The Exorcist. Here's a line from Mindhunter. I was being controlled by a 3,000-year-old demon. People need to know demons are real. The exorcist is based on actual shit, he tells FBI special agents Ford and Tench during his interview. <gasps> you can go watch that dun, dun, on Netflix. Dun. I'm gonna. So, yeah, I watched it. It was a doc. All this is from a docu-series docu called Cursed Films on the horror streaming service Shudder. In the documentary, they explore the curse of The Exorcist, The Omen, Poltergeist, The Crow, and The Twilight Zone movie, all of which had very tragic events and deaths surrounding them. Um, yeah, it's quite horrific, actually, especially The Twilight Zone. It's awful, Michelle. The Twilight Zone? The movie. Oh, no, I don't think I've... Have I seen it? I must have seen but it. But you must know what happened. I don't remember. I don't remember things. But you must know what happened around the controversy bit around it. They no. were filming. Uh, I've got all my notes and I didn't write it down here. Maybe we'll do it another time because I won't. We don't think we have time to talk about this today. But uh, the actor Vic Morrow uh, and two child actors, aged six and seven, who were um, supposed to be portraying Vietnamese children in a village that he was rescuing, um, they were all killed by a. a uh, helicopter that came down because too many incendiary devices that they used for like they were supposed to be in the war zone and too many of these bombs went off 
and the helicopter um, somehow came down on top of the three actors, killed them oh. all instantly, oh. cut them in half. The parents of these children were watching this. Oh my God. And it was at three o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous. And the reason why um, the, there's more problems like with court, uh, courts and lawsuits and things was because they didn't get, they didn't go through a casting agent to get the kids because no one would let the kids work at those hours and in that kind of dangerous position. So they went and got some kids off the street. No, oh God. It's really awful, but I'll talk about that another time because we haven't got yeah. time for all of that. No. But there was a skeptic on this series that said, cursed horror films not cursed horror films, cursed non-horror films, yeah. not cursed non-horror, which films are the most interesting? Three Men and a Baby? Where <laughs> it was a, there, was a, there was something spooky happening with that film. There was a, the, you can see someone in the background, like a, a ghost in a few scenes, but what? that's not a horror film. So why is that? That's just not talked about to the extent of The Omen and Poltergeist and The Exorcist. Yeah, look into it. I there will. is the shadow of a man in the original Three Men and a Baby with Hanks, Danson and the, the other fellow. one. Um, and The Shining, you know, that's one of the yeah. most horrifying films of all time. Oh, Jack Nicholson. I love him. Love no him. Cur no curses. No curses? It's not, there's no curses involved with that film. No, because, because he, uh, no one wants to curse. Jack, Jack Nicholson. He's lovely. He's too nice. <laughs> what a lovely man. What a lovely, lovely chap. So I've got some information about the Omen curse. Shall I go into it now or shall I just talk about it another time? Oh, We've probably run out of time, haven't we? We are. We're, we're, uh, we, we're... We'll go into this another time. Well, but there is psychology, basically. Well, I just want to talk about something, actually. The psychology professor, Clay Routledge, explained that when you're watching a horror film, you're often watching something that's outside of logical understanding. You can, and as a result, you become more open to supernatural ideas and it puts you in the right mindset to, to see patterns if you want to see them and to believe in conspiracies or believe in curses. Now, for example, I'm just going to throw this one out there. Mark David Chapman, do you yes. remember that name? Yes. He was the, he was the assassin Killed of John Lennon. John Lennon. He was standing outside John Lennon's building, deciding whether or not to go through with shooting him, right? Whilst he was deciding this, so he went there, but he was thinking, do I, don't I, do I, don't I, do I, don't mm -hmm. I? I know if I see something that tells me that I should, then I will. Well, then uh, Mia Farrow walks past him. Oh my God, Rosemary's baby. Thank you. Then he realized, he looked up and he realized that was the building that they filmed, you know, the outs outside shots of Rosemary's baby. What, John Lennon's building, Dakota building? Something. Yes, the Dakota building, yeah, apparently. No. Then he realized that film was directed by Roman Polanski. Yes. What happened to Roman Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate? Oh. She was murdered by the Manson family. Um, the, the, it's a Beatles song. Helter Skelter. Yes, that's true. Yes. All of this in, in Mark David Chapman's mind added up as a green light for <gasps> him to go ahead with his assassination because he saw those patterns. Boom. Yes. There you Mom. go. And then boom. Bang, bang, bang. So all I've right. got all my information from Wikipedia, Entertainment Weekly, Scream Queens, Shudder, um, the documentary Cursed Films. Well, I got my information from the internet. You're not going <laughs> to give anyone any credit for all that amazing research that you've Yeah, cleaned. let me have a look. Uh, we've got uh, Serial Killer Shop. Nice. <laughs> uh, we've got Mysterious Universe. Uh, that sounds we've great. American Haunting Sink. And Wikipedia. There you go. That's good old wiki. Yeah. Um, have you got any other information about it that you want to share? Is there any other little... Little tidbits. Yeah. No, just more, not more than uh, I think. Seventies was a fantastic time for filmmaking. Cursed and horrors. Yeah, my God. Was it cursed? I'm not sure. I think you're right. You can see patterns in everything. Mm. But is it worth watching? <laughs> is it worth watching The Exorcist now, in this day and age? I was shocked for for reasons. Other than being scared, put well, it that a way. swearing and sticking things up a up a veggie. Yes, it wasn't good. Thing. Yeah, no, no it wasn't good. Nice. But um, no, I think 
I think that's it for me. Oh. Yeah, well, that's amazing, Michelle. Thank you for a very well-researched and intriguing journey into a horror film. Well, the thank Exorcist. you. And thank I'm glad you. that you sat and watched it again because I, I don't think I could do that. Oh, do you know what? It was hilarious. I, I watched it over two sittings. So I got interrupted. Something I don't need to do again. No. But it was it was entertaining. But I, I did like her, a few of her outfits. Who, Burstons? Yes. Yeah, I love the 70s fashion. Oh, me too. I'm wearing tracksuit pants today. Yeah, me too. I mean, I mean, trackies and a beanie. Always uh. beanie. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my fashion for today. Should we so, sing a little song to uh, as an outro? Yes. Here we go. Yeah. Goodbye, Let's see if we can guys. hear you this time. Yeah, sorry yeah. about the sound quality. Um, sorry about the Zoom situation. We're very new at this, but like and subscribe and we'll see you next else? week <laughs> and see you next week okay ready one two it is time for you to stop all of your stopping <laughs> it is about two seconds behind me no. Yes. It, it, is that it what you is, hear? Yeah. One, two. It is time.